This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. Today, I am your host, Krangis McBasketball. You can call me Tim, and uh, Tom and I couldn't find a time that worked for us today to connect, but we did want to make sure we covered a couple key topics. There, there's been a little bit going on in the Lakers world, so wanted to get on the mic, share some thoughts. We'll, uh, the two of us will reconnect soon, but for today, it'll just be a solo pod with me. Today on the episode, we are talking Ben McLemore, and then at the end, digging a little bit into the Lakers' treasured, rich history of having guys come to the team and forget how to shoot three-pointers. So <laughs> look out for that at the end. Uh, but we're going to start with McLemore. So the Lakers filled their final open roster, well, current open roster spot. If they wanted to make more room, they could make more room. But for right now, uh, we saw Andre Drummond brought in to fill one of the open slots. Ben McLemore brought in to fill the other. McLemore is a offensively, he's a movement shooter, and he's been that for a little bit. Uh, came into the league, high draft pick, didn't quite perform up to expectations, but just because you don't live up to the hype doesn't mean you can't be a good player. He spent four years in Sacramento, year in Memphis, another year in Sacramento, You know, did, played like 19 games, um, and then we saw him last season in Houston, and Lakers fans will remember him in the playoffs being one of those three-point threats that could get it going, could create his own shot a little bit, um, but was also something the Lakers targeted. Had a very good year. That was his uh, average 10 points a game. He shot 40% on, on his threes. And then this season in 32 games so far, also with Houston, but in a little bit of a worse environment, you can say they've had nearly 25 players on that one roster, which is crazy to me. That's a lot of turnover. That's a lot of turmoil. There have been trades. There have been, you know, James Harden wanting to get out of that situation. Uh, some guys released, some guys cut. He was one of the players who was cut and he's had a little bit of an up and down season. But I do see how he could fit into what the Lakers want to do, why he is a, you know, a worthwhile dart throw. It may not pan out. And like <laughs> the, the general sentiment towards him and Drummond, I think is a, it's very optimistic. It's maybe a little bit higher than it should be, given the, you know their situations and, and what they've been and who they are. But I love the optimism. I'm buying in a little bit with McLemore. I think he is a better 
example of a guy that take him out of his current situation, put him with the Lakers, just contextually, we can do a lot more with him from an environment standpoint and set him up to succeed a little bit better. And then he fits a very clear need. Whereas with Drummond, part, a lot of my reservation with him was like, all right, well, you get to the playoffs. He's not your elite post defender. He's not your elite like rim protector shot blocker. Um, he's going to add rebounding, but that's not an area that's been killing the Lakers. He's not a great dump off finisher guy, nor is he going to sp- space the floor. So like just fitting him in was a little bit more difficult. With Macklemore, it's very straightforward. He offensively is very limited. He's a very, you want to silo him as a player. You want him to do kind of his thing. And his thing is three-point shooting. And that is something the Lakers have really struggled with. And he should help in this area. And really his success or failure with the team and whether or not he is a rotation player that uh, he is a great situation. Honestly, he is a great opportunity here to come into a team with poor three point shooting. And because of that one key skill set, assert himself and put himself in that rotation. Or if his shots aren't falling, he doesn't really give you much else on offense. He's not a driver. He's not really a ball handler. He's not going to play make for others. He's not cutting much at all. Um, he'll do a little bit of off-screen stuff. And over the past three years, he's he's actually been pretty solid with that. So you might have another pin-down flare screen kind of guy with him. Uh, well, I'll have to watch some more film to get a sense for his IQ in those situations. But that is a potential little bonus on top of this. But he's a three-point shooter. He's not helping you on the boards. We'll talk about his defense a little bit later. But he's kind of like how we've been talking about Wes Matthews. If his threes fall, he's going to be a good positive offensive player. If the threes aren't falling, you're going to struggle with them. And that's at, at a high level. That's what you're looking at with Macklemore. So the essential question and like this is you know going back to, gosh, middle school, elementary school, high school. The essential question for today, what we're going to try to answer, will his threes be falling? And there are two parts of that. There's the shot quality. Is he getting easy shots? Is he getting hard shots? We'll, we'll start with that. And then the shot making. Because you can have guys who get easy shots and overperform on those. That's great. You can have guys that get easy shots and give you about what you'd expect. And that's also good. You can have guys that get easy shots and underperform, which isn't ideal. And then you have guys that are taking, you know, average difficulty shots and overperforming, underperforming, or giving you average performance. And then guys taking hard shots that might overperform. They might give you, you know, they're taking hard shots and they're giving you about average results or they can underperform underperform that shot quality. So there's a very wide ranging spectrum. You've got guys like Steph Curry, Davis Bertans, um, Dame Lillard. Those guys are taking hard threes and they're overperforming on them. The same thing with Luka Doncic. You'll have guys who get easy threes either because they're not good shooters and they're underperforming on them or some players are just set up really well. They're in really good situations and they're given, they're fed these good looks. And that is what Macklemore was last season with Houston, with James Harden setting the table for him to get some really good looks. But he also has his own self-creation aspect to his three-point shooting. He is not Daniel House. He is not P.J. Tucker. He was not one of the guys just standing in the corner, completely dependent upon James Harden to feed him the ball. He could create his own shot. And... That can be good. That can be bad. We'll talk about that in a second. Let's So taking a step back, let's talk shot quality. The Lakers can give players good shot quality if they buy into a role. Alex Caruso ranks third this season in three-point shot quality. KCP ranks sixth. 
Wes Matthews ranks 44th, which is still very, very good. And then you have Marcus Saul, Dennis Schroeder, Markeith Morris, all in the low 70th percentile. So their their shot quality is higher than about 70% of NBA players from 2013 to 2021. McLemore, his three-point shot quality this season is lower than about 75% of players over that 2013 to 21, 2013 to 2021's ban. Lower than 74% of players. He's taking hard shots. Before this season, he had higher three-point shot quality than about 75% of players. So he went from lower than 75%, or he, he went from higher than 75% to this season lower than 75%. So he's really fallen off in terms of the shot quality for the threes that he's attempting this year. And that is impacting his percentage. In fact, only seven players in the league this season have attempted harder threes and underperformed worse on them than Macklemore. This is interesting to me because you have guys that take hard shots generally because they're doing, you know, they're shooting really well. They're really good shooters. Like Steph Curry, you can take the hardest shots in the league or James Harden or whoever. As long as you're, you know, you're kicking butt on them, that means that your threshold for I should take this shot versus no, this is like I shouldn't. This is a bad decision. Is a little bit different than a Alex Caruso, who he has high shot quality. He's overperforming on his his shot quality a little bit, but he's not just letting it fly when you know he's not taking difficult shots that he shouldn't be taking because he knows he can't make those. Macklemore is profiling like a player that has a shot selection issue because he's taking hard shots but also not hitting them. So, for, you know, within that scope. This says, you know, red flag shot selection issue. He's taking harder shots than his teammates on Houston. Like, this isn't this isn't a Houston thing. This is a Macklemore thing. But that might be because in the past, he's been a decent three-point shooter. So he, you know, this season they're not falling, but he has that belief in himself. And he thinks, you know, I've done this in the past. I can do this now. So that is kind of who you're getting from a three-point shooting standpoint. We can look at how high his shot quality might get. So he's he's starting at... 26th percentile how high can he get can he get as high as Wes can he not reach that height but get as high as Gasol Schroeder and Keefe in the 70th percentiles can he get all the way up to that Caruso KCP third top five top six shot quality I don't think he can quite get that high for a couple different reasons he's creating a lot more of his own looks than you'd prefer and he's a career 33% pull-up three-point shooter this season he's shooting 29% you can uh check any players pull up or catch and shoot threes or twos, uh, percentages and attempts on a, a new free page we have at B-Ball Index. Um, I pulled that up, 33% career three-point shooter on pull-ups. Catching and shooting, I think he's at like 38%, and his shot quality has generally been very, very high. He's gotten praised for being willing to fire away, but what that means is he has that lower threshold for what's a good shot. So he's attempting harder threes more often than most players would think is smart or, or, you know, they're not making that decision to shoot because it's a harder shot than makes sense. It's not an efficient shot, but he's taking those, which can be good, can be bad. If they're not falling, it can be frustrating. If those threes are falling, that's good. But just know that trade-off is there. If he's getting more of those threes up, either self-creating them or firing away on, on more contested catch and shoot threes, that is going to come at the expense of the three-point shot quality. So there's there's some push and pull there. So you want to have the right balance. If his threes are falling well, you can push the limits a little bit more. I would say that given how he shot so far this season, if you only looked at the season, he's pushed a little bit too far. But given how he's performed in the past, 
there's a little bit more leeway there. Maybe as the sample size grows, he'll round back into shape a little bit. So what I'm thinking is his three-point shot quality, given how he plays, might cap out around that Gasol, Schroeder, Markeith Morris range. Um, That's about an expected 36% three-point shooting percentage for an average shooter. If he continues shooting how he's shot so far this season on that shot quality, we'd expect him, this is me doing back-end math, to be hitting about 34.5% of his threes, which is about where Markeith Morris is right now exactly. Um, So let me see. uh, Macklemore on the season so far has hit 33.1%. If he's plugged into that Markeith Morris, Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Saul quality and continues to underperform, you're still looking at a bump in his three-point shooting by maybe a percentage and a half. That's if he continues shooting really poorly. And now let's get to that part. So if, if we can get him that expected 36%, can he just give you, you know, average results on that? That would be, that would be good. Um, if he can overperform, that'd be even better. And last season, this was a guy that was in the 94th percentile with his three-point shot making. He was not just getting really good looks, he was also overperforming on those. And that, you know, is really good, but... That's not who he's quite been over his career or over that that 2013 to 2021 sample we have. So his weighted career average, because he had one season that was good on tiny minutes. If we wait by the minutes and we look at the three-point shot-making percentiles, 52nd percentile for Macklemore in his career. Over the last four years, it's a little bit better, 58th percentile. So he's an average to above average shooter, big picture as a whole. But when we dig into that, it's been very up and down. It's not like he's nailing, you know, 55th percentile, 56th percentile, 54th percentile. He has years in the 13th percentile, 16th percentile, like this season, 30th percentile. And those are all awful to below average shooting seasons. That means so 16th percentile this season means that given the shot quality that he has, he is underperforming that shot quality to such a degree that it's lower than what 84% of NBA players in our database have done on their shot quality. So, you know, increase the shot quality, he's still underperforming, lower shot quality, still underperforming. That's just, this is looking at where he is compared to what we'd expect him to do. But then he's also had seasons in the 79th percentile, 67th percentile, and then he had a 50%, 50th percentile season. This isn't quite in order, but those are the, the three higher end years. He had the three lower end years, and then he had that crazy elite shooting season last season. So... You know, I, what what if that is true? Uh, overall, it's about an average to above average three-point shooter. I think that might be more realistic to expect. I don't quite believe that we should expect a guy with this background to suddenly go back to being a 94th percentile three-point shooter. This is like, like Dennis Schroeder, who went from poor three-point shooting to that one really good year. And then if you just buy into that, I, you might be buying high. So he, this isn't a guy that's going to be as poor as Schroeder on his three point on his threes on his three point shot making, but he's probably not getting back to that ninety fourth percentile elite three point shot making. So for him, if he can just give us like average shooting on really high shot quality, that's still really good. And and I know I'm like very in the weeds right now, but this I know this is interesting stuff to me. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have some interest or some tolerance for for this sort of talk. And without Tom here, I can kind of go off the off the leash and uh, dig in a little bit more. But I think it's just interesting to see how, especially for a guy like him, he of the hundreds of players 
who've played each of the last four seasons in the NBA, I looked at the the variance in their shot making over that four year stretch. And of those hundreds of players, he's like in that top tier. Macklemore has been very up and down. So, you know, season to season, very streaky shooter. In season, very streaky shooter. And we see that. And we we can, like, I just plotted out his, like, rolling average, three-point percentage with, like, a 10-game average or five-game average. It has gotten very high at points, and it has gotten very, very low at other points. So this is a streaky shooter you're bringing in. Hopefully he can turn the page and and perform a little bit better. Will he continue with a three-point shot making, which is basically the same as Dennis Schroeder's so far this year? Probably not. He'll probably get a little bit better. I think the Lakers are buying low a little bit, but I don't expect him to get up to that in, in the 90th percentiles. Even Not just over on the season as a whole, but just for his stretch with the Lakers or even his stretch with the Lakers with LeBron and AD. Before they get back, I think his own let it fire tendencies, self-creation tendencies will rear their ugly head a little bit more or if the shots are falling it's going to look real good um once ad and once lebron get back i think he'll take a step back a little bit and maybe fit into that role but remember this was again a guy that in houston for a houston team that had those players that were doing you know my job is to stand in the corner and hit threes he was not one of those guys so should we expect him to be on this team i don't know i think by the end of the season, he, or at least for his stretch in LA, he might be able to get 50th to 60th percentile three-point shot making. I think that's possible. I think that plus maybe Marcus Dennis Schroeder, Markeith Morris caliber shot quality is a realistic outcome. And if that's the case, if he's getting, what I say, I said 36% expected three-point percentage on that quality and he's overperforming a little bit and he's getting you like 37 percent that's pretty solid the Lakers average as a team this season the average you know across all players some guys better some guys worse but as a team the Lakers average is 35.3 percent on threes which is not very good so that's the big question with him can he he's going to get higher quality can he turn it around from a shooting perspective just you know himself you cannot blame all of his, you cannot blame his poor shooting just on the situation because he he's a part of this as well but when we look at how he's kind of trended we do see that he's trended up recently sort of again looking at those 5 game 10 game averages so not just you know if you look at individual games it jumps around a ton but if you kind of smooth it out a little bit combine some of those games he uh, has had some, he started off very hot. He's been very hot recently and pretty bad in the, the, the middle portion. A 10 game rolling average would give you 23 data points for him on the year. The first data point and then the last two data points. So the, one, the number one and then numbers 22 and 23 of the 23 data points would be above the Lakers team season average 35.3% shooting. The other 20 data points, the other... 10-game rolling average stretches for him over the year have been below the Lakers' team three-point shooting average. So, again, it's going to come down to the quality is going to be much better. Can he hit threes? Can he knock down open threes? Because that's been the Lakers' issue. We've gotten a lot of open open threes. The team's three-point shot quality, even with LeBron and AD missing for a bit, is still seventh. It was fourth like a week or two ago. Now it's down to seventh, and that's still pretty good. But when the team is converting on those with that shot making, that's just so poor, it's it's hard to have success. So ho- he's hopefully a guy that can, you know, again, it is a dart throw. This is not for sure. 
This is not a guaranteed solution. This is a guy with a big picture career average of like average to above average shooting just coming off of a crazy hot year. So I wouldn't get my hopes too high, but I think there's a decent chance that he'll perform well and and be able to turn it around from what he's done so far in the year. Now, defensively, this is the other part of the game, and this is somewhere where if you're the Lakers and your team that's as good at defending as they are, you might have a little bit higher tolerance for bringing in a guy that's not as good of a defender. He's good in specific areas. I think the team can optimize him a, a little bit better than Houston has. I think he's in the right role. He's been a chaser, and I think that's the right role for him because he's pretty good defending guys uh, off ball, chasing them around screens or defending cutters. He's not getting face cut. He's not dying on, on pin downs or flare screens. He's doing a pretty good job in those situations. Off ball as like a rotational defender, I need to watch a little bit more film, but we do know that from an activity standpoint, deflections, steals, he's not either on ball or at off ball a high turnover generator. So that's, a you know, Drummond is a guy who does generate a lot of those deflections and steals. Macklemore's not one of those dudes. He's not very good on ball, and I think that's apparent in his film. And because of that, he is going to get beat at the point of attack, and he's going to make Drummond, Gasol, and Trez look a little bit worse, especially without LeBron back in the lineup. Because LeBron has been the dude in that helper, free safety role that'll come in and clean up when somebody does get beat. And then the team scrambles, recovers, and you're all set. Without LeBron as that glue, when you have those strong point of attack defenders and you've got Caruso out there, Schroeder out there, those guys are able to stay in front. You're okay. If you replace them with a guy like McLemore and LeBron's not there, suddenly you don't have that stopgap and it's going to result in more uh, disadvantageous situations for your big men trying to defend the rim. And that's... Not great, but that's something I, I think we should expect. Hopefully, we'll, we'll see him uh, not targeted too much. We even saw the Lakers target him in their playoff series. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that works out. But I think just given how poor the team's three-point shooting is, if his shots are falling, you can more than justify the defense he brings you. His defensive versatility in terms of guarding you know, one through five, one through four, has been pretty high. He's he's like a one through four defender. or he he, he That's how he's been used. And consistently, this has gone up year over year for him. So over time, he has become much more versatile just in terms of how he's been deployed. Now, his matchup difficulty, on the other hand, is low, and it's gone down year after year. He's taking on easier matchups. And in a chaser role, you know, that, that'll kind of happen. But uh, I think that speaks a little bit to his quality as a defender. And if we look at his defensive impact, that kind of tracks with this. You, you're not going to be a poor on-ball defender that's not an active off-ball defender that is taking on low matchup difficulty and not have poor defensive impact. He's, he's actually decent in pick and roll situations. That's the one other thing I wanted to mention. But just on ball 1v1 defense, he's not quite your guy. From a defensive impact standpoint, over his career, he's been a below average to poor defender. It's not like a this year, single year, he's been a victim of a playing on a bad team kind of thing and is actually a good defender. No. He's, he's been not so good a defender over his career. And on this team, of those 24 players in Houston, he's had the 23rd ranked defensive LeBron uh, defensive impact. So that is not encouraging. Um, it's He's coming into this team with the, he'll be the worst. He'll have the worst defensive impact of anyone on the Laker roster. And he's also coming in with 
one of the if I know I think it is the worst or second worst uh, three point shot making of guards and wings. Um, so the threes need to turn around. If they don't turn around, this isn't somebody that's going to stick around in the rotation. If he is knocking down the threes and the Lakers can hide him a little bit on defense and LeBron gets back and he's cleaning up those little fires, I think he can fit in. Getting back to uh, good defenders on bad teams, this makes me think of Robert Covington, who is actually a uh, first-team all-D LeBron, all-first-team all-defensive impact player up there with Caruso, who's first-team, Matisse Theibel, who's first-team, who else is up there, Uh, Gobert, of course, (coughs) and then I believe, yeah, Larry Nance Jr. Um, That's the the first-team all-defense uh, based on our D LeBron metric. So Rocco, even while being on a de- bad defensive uh, team in Portland, is still first team among everybody. So it, we, we do see, and other defenders as well, we see good defenders still show up as good defenders, even if they're on bad teams. This is not a blanket excuse you can make. The metrics we have to evaluate performance and impact these days are a little bit better than they have been in the past. And they'll fight against some of those common pushbacks to metrics where common excuses of, oh, well, this metric doesn't matter because of X or because of Y or because of Z. These are things, you know, we listen to, we hear, and we're building into these metrics to make sure that they're not uh, causing those same issues that they did in the past. So that's something I wanted to point out. Ben McLemore has the second highest foul trouble percentage among guards. This is a, a fun stat we have at B-Ball Index. What this means is that the percentage of his minutes that he's playing while in foul trouble. So that's, gosh, hang on, let me pull it up. I want to make sure I get this right. I think it's three or more fouls in the first quarter. Um, Yeah, here we go. I'm sorry, here we go. Between uh, two or more fouls in the first quarter, three or more fouls in the second quarter, and then in quarters three or four, having four or more fouls or five fouls in overtime. In any of those situations, we would consider you to be in foul trouble. And Macklemore is in foul trouble a decent bit, almost uh, 7-8% of his minutes, which is not, you know, the highest in the world, but it is second highest among guards in our database. It is an F grade, and for a bench guy, that's not, I mean, I, I don't want to say I don't care, but if he fouls out, it's not, it's, not a, it's not AD or LeBron fouling out. That's okay. Where this does hurt you, though, is if he is fouling a bunch, that's not a great indicator of his, or it's a, it's a good indicator that he's not a good defender. He's not, not able to defend without fouling, but it means that the result of this is when he's out there and he is fouling dudes, even if like, he's not worried about fouling out, you're still getting opposing teams in the bonus more frequently. And this is something the Lakers have done a pretty good job with this year in terms of defending without fouling. And that's a big piece of defending the rim with that catch hedge, more aggressive pick and roll defensive scheme. If you can stop the drives before they really get going and you're not having your big men have to defend the rim against players driving full speed, you are not going to commit as many fouls at the rim and the Lakers aren't committing as as many fouls at the rim. He's somebody that commits a lot of fouls. So maybe taking a half step back there, it's not the, the, the most troublesome thing in the world, but holistically as a defender, as a defender, he's not someone that screams out to me as someone that the Lakers can just switch their role and get way more out of. I think he's in the right role. Looking at their defensive scheme, he's been used a good bit versatilely, um, and I think what he's done so far is about what he's what he'll be asked to do with the Lakers. His uh, matchup difficulty is low, so it's not he's not someone we're saving from a situation defensively. Offensively, I see us immediately being able to have an impact on his shot quality, especially as a three point shooter. And 
that's really what he does. As a, a three-point sh- shots are about 75% of the shots that he takes, which is a top five rate among guards. He and Wes Matthews are both way, way up there in terms of like they don't shoot twos. <laughs> They're not doing other things. They have that one job, and if the shots fall, they do well. Defensively, it's not that same situation. He uh, is kind of already doing what you'd want him to be doing, and you just have to hope that it hurts less because the players around him are a little bit better. But when we think about the chain of events that leads to success or failure on the defensive end, starting with somebody who's being beat at the point of attack, that's that's not a great way to start. If you had like a, a weaker big man but really strong perimeter defenders, you can overcome that weaker big man a little bit. When you have a catch-edge scheme, you can overcome a guy like Trez who's not a good drop defender. Um, when you're, But when you're starting with a guy who's going to get beat at the point of attack, that compromises the defense a bit. So we'll see how it works out. I'm sure once AD gets back, we'll see him fly in and save the day where LeBron be putting out those fires uh, when dudes are driving and then have to stop suddenly and then it's a scramble drill and the, the defense can recover. But overall... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'd say that Ben McLemore is someone that offensively has a upside of being very helpful and adding value in a specific key area that the team's weak at. So that's that's good. Defensively, you know he's going to be a negative. You know he's kind of already optimized, but you have a strong enough defense that you can sustain it, and for what he brings offensively, it's worth it. Again, he might make Drummond, Gasol, Trez worse, look worse, maybe AD as well, but that's just what he's going to, that's going to, that's what's going to happen. That's what the situation is looking like. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and then look into some of the shooting history for the Lakers and guys coming in that, you know, had shot well in the past, but not so much for the Lakers. All right, so we are back. We are talking about shooters coming to the Lakers. They've shot well in the past. <laughs> they, they don't shoot well here. Uh, and or or they, you know, didn't, they shot well, didn't shoot well here, and then they leave here and they shoot well again in the future. We have uh, quite a history, and I didn't just, you know, pull up random three-point percentages because we know, people on the, listeners of this podcast, we know that raw three-point percentage isn't a good measure of shot quality. And you might have a guy that shot 36% that comes in and shoots 33%, just as good a shooter, not a three-point shot making, just as good, but his quality goes down. Or he comes in, his quality goes up, and his percentage goes up. So what we're going to do is we're going to stick to where we have the data. And where we have the data is from 2013 all the way to this season. 
And from that, I found about 19 players, almost 20 players. You can give or take a couple of them, depending on how you categorize them, but at least like 15 dudes who had good three-point shot making, came to the Lakers. Maybe their quality went up a little bit, down a little bit, up a lot, down a lot. But their three-point shot making was uh, not not the same. And some of these guys played bigger minutes, some of them lower minutes. There were maybe extending extenuating circumstances with some, but let's look at it. So we'll start with the ones we, we know. Wes Matthews. 79th percentile career three-point shot making heading into his Lakers season. This year, 27th percentile. From almost, you know, top 20% to bottom third, almost bottom quarter of players. We have Danny Green. 76th percentile career. And when I say career, I mean from 2013 on. Career three-point shot making. Comes to the Lakers. from Goes down from 76% to 44th percentile. Went to a below average three-point shooter. Just really good quality. And then after this year, and this is what irks me, it's not that he's washed. It's he leaves the Lakers, goes to Philly, 87th percentile, even higher than what he was doing before he came to L.A. And there's still plenty of season left. But that's one of those where it's it's you you trade him. And, you know, in the back of the mind, you're thinking, well, maybe he's maybe he's hurt. Maybe this is done. Maybe he's getting old. He's you know, we're not going to lose out on much. But then you trade him and he's looking great. Um, So 87th percentile this year in Philly. That's example number two. Example number three, we'll say Isaiah Thomas, just because this was such a drop-off, 76th percentile for his career, came to the Lakers. He, he had his injury troubles, uh, 6th percentile, three-point shot maker. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there's someone on this list that's as low as Isaiah Thomas was with the Lakers. And then a name that is uh, familiar in a not-so-great way, Mike Muscala, who actually, and, and I want to point this out, he's similar a little bit to... And Macklemore in that he he kind of had a, like a rep for being a good shooter and he did have a good shooter. So he was a 66th percentile average three point shot making before he came to the Lakers. Once he came to the Lakers uh, in, in that season as a whole, I don't have this broken out by team, but one, for that season as a whole, 44th percentile. And I remember that year it wasn't looking good pre Lakers. So the Lakers traded for a guy with a good reputation that was having a bad year, hoping they can turn it around, but he continued having a bad year. That's the Macklemore situation this year. Just, you know, when you're not trading away Ibiza Zubats or like you're not losing assets to bring in a dude for free, it's a different situation. But just from a like a shooting perspective, it's similar. So there's Muscala, he's number four. Number five, we'll, t- we'll say Schroeder, who I, maybe doesn't count. I, I'd say he won't count. 12th percentile. Average for his career. And then last year, 82nd percentile. And if you only watched him last year, you probably think he's a, a much better shooter than he has been in his career. And then this year, 15th percentile. So he's been who he's been for his career, except for that outlier year last year. And Markeith Morris is similar too. 29th percentile career average, 24th percentile this year, but last year, 94th percentile. So he had a crazy outlier year last year. But that's not quite who he's been in his career. So for a guy this year in the 24th percentile, he's kind of in that Wes Matthews range of underperformance, but he doesn't have the like history of being that really good shooter. So is it going to come back? It seems to be coming back a little bit, but uh, we'll see if that, how that turns out because that's another concern. But I'd say those two don't count. So let's say, all right, so we have Wes Matthews, Danny Green, Isaiah Thomas, Mike Muscala, and then Troy Daniels. 88th percentile, career three-point shot making, 64th percentile with the Lakers, a drop of 24%. Shout out, Kobe. Then we have Quinn Cook, 
who was brought to the team, great locker room guy, but on court, he's a three-point shooter. And it was, you know, his defense isn't good. He's not really a ball handler, playmaker, pick-and-roll kind of guy. But he can space the floor, play off ball with LeBron, hit some threes. It was still okay, but it wasn't where he was in the past. 83rd percentile career, 70th percentile with the Lakers. Another drop. Avery Bradley, another guy that dropped. 50th percentile. And, and so, like, some of these guys, they were elite or they were good and then they dropped down. Some of them were average and then they dropped down. Some of them were bad and they dropped even worse with the Lakers. Bradley, 50th percentile before Lakers, 30th percentile with the Lakers, a drop of 20%. And then this year, 72nd percentile. And he hasn't played a ton, but I wanted to note that because that's funny to me. Svi Mikhailuk, who the Lakers drafted because he is a shooter, was a shooter at Kansas. 23rd percentile three-point shot making for the Lakers. After leaving the Lakers, 73rd percentile. So there's another example. Lonzo and uh, Brandon Ingram, I don't know if you count them or not, but right after they left the Lakers, they discovered that they could shoot threes. So that was that was interesting as well. Um, they were also up there in terms of the variance year over year up with Macklemore. Um, but those are two that like, oh, what could have been? Though part of that is they, you know, maybe got some different advice on their shooting form or different shooting coach. Like, we, we can't assume the same things are going to happen for those types of guys if they stay in that same situation. Maybe it was a situation change that helped them. But those are two other examples. Michael Beasley, remember that name? Remember that one? I remember advocating for Michael Beasley. Uh, 63rd percentile career three-point shot making. The, the year before the Lakers, he was like in the mid to high 80th percentiles. And then for LA, 20th percentile. And it was a... On-ball ISO guy that can't space the floor anymore. So that didn't quite work out. And then off-ball, or uh, not off-ball, off-court wasn't working out either. So he he left. Jordan Clarkson started in L.A., 49th percentile average with the Lakers, 67th percentile since then. Another guy that's blossomed after leaving. Channing Frye, good example. Started 90th percentile for his career for many, many years before the Lakers. Comes to the Lakers, 38th percentile, below average. Went from elite to below average. And then after leaving the Lakers, 87th percentile, right back up to elite. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Jose Calderon, similar, 91st percentile career average. Comes to the Lakers, 20th percentile. Can't put a freaking basketball in the ocean. And then leaves LA very next season, 94th percentile. They, like, it's crazy. How does this happen? Luol Deng, another guy, injuries and, and whatnot, but 27th percentile, the below average shooter, came to the Lakers 9th percentile three-point shot making. Leaves the Lakers 35th percentile. Ah, it's, it's player after player. It's like one or two or three a year. And it's hard to, like, how do you build a team when everybody you bring in can't shoot anymore? Like, how, who do you look for? And then there are guys like uh, Larry Nance Jr., Julius Randle, who didn't really have three-point shots in L.A. You know, they hit some here or there, and, and we saw glimpses of it. But then once they left, they developed, and now we're out there hitting threes. So that's my list. If we were going back before 2013, we could probably think of some more. But this, these were the, the names that I felt confident with, and we have the data for. So I wanted to bring up some were bad, some were mediocre, some were good, some were elite before joining the, joining the Lakers once they came to L.A., they all forgot to shoot to varying degrees. And again, seemingly one or two a year. This year, it's Wes Matthews, Markeith Morris, who maybe counts, maybe doesn't count. Dennis Schroeder, who probably doesn't count. But uh, Wes Matthews, I think, was the big one for this year. 
So we'll see what that looks like for the rest of the season. We'll see if Ben McLemore maybe is the, the opposite of this, where he wasn't shooting well, came to the Lakers and started shooting well. That would, that would be fun. But uh, I think that's it for today. I'm not going to try to go too deep into this. But again, McLemore, I'm thinking optimistically about. And I think the difference between him and Drummond for me is just the he fits a very clear, very, you know, what he does is what we need or what he's supposed to do is what we need. And we know we can make the environment, the context, the, the quality better for him. If he can knock down threes at a little bit better rate, boom, you've got some value there. And that's that's a rotation player. With Drummond, it's a, it's a trickier fit. I think we did see some of it in that first game, and there are things that he certainly helps with, uh, especially that second wave offense like I talked about on the last podcast. But it's a, a trickier fit from a playoff standpoint. So that's what, we'll, that's what it's looking like. We'll see when McLemore makes his debut with the Lakers. It's looking like Drummond, uh, after missing a few games with that toenail being ripped off, will be back soon perhaps against Miami. So far, the the Lakers, since losing LeBron, uh, and I don't think I tweeted this out. I, I We talked about this at length in the Discord, and we've had some really good discussions in there from free agency, buyouts, and, and you know the in-game chat, all that stuff. If you're wondering where I am <laughs> during games, it's, it's over there. Th- something that came up uh, over there that, that I talked about was like, all right, well, what do we think is going to happen over this next stretch of games? This one's a win. That one's a loss. Um, so far, I haven't gotten any wrong. The Lakers have won the ones they've needed to win. Um, and you've got to beat those bad teams. Some of them are going to look ugly. Some of them will look great. Um, but the Lakers needed to win a couple of these games. And not like a, oh, this is a must win. If you lose this, the season's over. But you can only realistically get some of these upcoming games as victories, just given who's playing right now unless the other team just puts out a stinker and can't hit shots or guys are injured or resting or whatever. So far, the Lakers have kind of held serve. So I, in watching these games, am certainly not the most excited about what's been done, but I'm not disappointed either. This is the team kind of digging in, trying to hold ground close to 500 without LeBron and AD. I think some of the upcoming games are going to get a little bit worse and we'll see how long LeBron and AD are out. We'll see if McLemore helps. We'll see if Drummond helps, but, uh, Moving forward, there are fewer of those victories ahead from from what I was looking at previously. Um, so we'll see what that looks like. We'll be back with to you soon. Uh, Tom and I will be podcasting maybe later this week, maybe early next week. But uh, until then, enjoy your Lakers. Enjoy the rest of your week and take care, everyone.